Hi, my name is Lindsay and I'm a member here at Restored Church. If you're new here, welcome. Thanks so much for tuning in. We believe that church is not an event, but a family you belong to. So we would love to offer the opportunity to connect with you. I'd love to be saying this in person, but circumstances have us doing otherwise. So if you'd like to learn more about our church or we can help you in any way, please visit our website, www.RestoredTemecula.Church. And then you can just click on contact there. We also have a mobile app with resources, including the Sunday messages, information about upcoming events, and other ways to connect. You can download our app at Apple and Android app stores. With that said, thanks so much for tuning in and we hope you enjoy the message. Wonderful. <clears throat> Anybody else thoroughly entertained by Herrick Berger this morning? What a guy, what a guy. Okay. Wonderful. All right. I see you back there. I'm talking to you, Jamie. Both Jamies. <laughs> As Britt laughs at me. Okay, so this morning we're going to jump back into our series that we've been going through, through the Gospel of Matthew, called The King and His Kingdom. And... I've been thoroughly enjoying going through the gospel of Matthew. There's something really special about it. And I think it's because of Matthew's emphasis on the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. Those, those phrases get used interchangeably. And if there's one thing about the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, God's kingdom, that I think gets kind of missed. We've been saying this every week is for whatever reason, Western Christians tend to think or view of the kingdom of God as kind of out there, as something that you go to when you die. And it, it is that, like heaven is coming. I don't know if you know this. Uh, we don't necessarily go to heaven. The Christian doesn't go to heaven when they die. The, the, the last book of the Bible, John's revelation of Jesus Christ, it describes heaven coming to earth. And so when we talk about this idea of the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, like I said, for whatever reason, we tend to think of it as something out there, something that we go to when we die. Uh, D.A. Carson says that the kingdom of God is more a reign than a realm. It's more a power than a place. And it's this idea that it really can be a reality that you experience now, partly in the present and fully in the future. Uh, theologians describe it as the already not yet. All right? So, I really believe that God has so much to teach us about living in God's kingdom now, not fully, partly in the present, in ever increasing ways until Jesus finally returns, makes all things new and ushers in the fullness of his kingdom, things the way they're supposed to be. So when we talk about the kingdom of God, it's the rule and the reign of God. It's God is king. It's his ways. You with me? So that's what this series has been all about. We are in week nine so far, and I'm really excited to share with you this morning what I believe God put on my heart. So go ahead and grab your Bibles. They're going to be in Matthew chapter four. If you don't have a physical Bible with you, the team will throw the words up on the screen. I'm going to be in the Christian Standard Bible translation. So if you don't have that one, it might be helpful for you to check out the screen. Before I jump into God's word, I want to pray for us. So will you join me? Let's pray. 
feels really good to be, uh, I don't know, to just slow down for a minute, God, and let our spirit kind of catch up with our minds, maybe. Thank you that you love us. Thank you that you're with us now. Spirit, our desire is that you would teach us. You would teach us more about your kingdom. You would point us to the true king who loves us, Jesus. Open Open the eyes of our spirits. Help us to see things for how they truly are and help us to see you clearly for who you truly are. Lord, I really want to honor everybody in the room. So would you help me this morning? Would you help me to communicate effectively and not get in the way of anything that you want to do? We desire more of your kingdom. So be with us now. We love you, Jesus. You're so kind and wonderful and patient and faithful to us. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Okay, so just to kind of bring you up to speed, uh, we're going to start here in verse 18. But before we do, Jesus has kind of officially begun his, his public preaching ministry. Okay, so he's gone public with proclaiming the truth of the kingdom of God. Do you guys remember last week at the very end uh, what Jesus' message was, the message that he's preaching? Do you remember what it was? If anybody knows it, let me hear it. Repent for the kingdom of God has come near. That's Jesus' message. It's an invitation. It's gracious. It's kind. Turn away from sin and come to me as king. That's basically Jesus' message, okay? That's where we pick up here. Jesus' fresh just begun his public preaching ministry. And then we start here in verse 18. It says this, as he, the he there is Jesus, was walking along the sea of Galilee. I want you to picture this, okay? Get the imagery in your mind. As Jesus was walking along the sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter. That's the apostle Peter. Simon and Peter, same person, okay? Simon, who was called Peter, and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Follow me. Everybody say, follow me. Well done. Follow me, he told them, and I will make you fish for people. Immediately, they left their nets and followed him. Verse 21. Going on from there, so he's still cruising around the Sea of Galilee. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with Zebedee, their father, preparing their nets, and he called them. Immediately, they left the boat and their father and followed him. And that's our passage. Um, So here's what I want to do. I want to give you a little bit of background, and then I want to chat about three specific things that this passage teaches us about the kingdom of God. Okay? So for starters, let's go some background. Who were these men? All right? Who were these men? There's two sets of brothers here. Did you catch it? Two sets of brothers. The first set is who? It's Simon Peter and his brother Andrew. Okay? Simon Peter, same guy, the Apostle Peter. Now, Andrew. Andrew doesn't get as much uh, press in the scriptures, but he's obviously one of Jesus' original 12 disciples, Jesus calls to himself. Andrew was actually a disciple of John the Baptist. And if you've been following along in this series, John the Baptist was the, the prophetic forerunner of the Messiah, of the Christ, of the promised Savior. So John the Baptist shows up on the scene, sent by God, saying, hey, the Messiah is coming. The kingdom of God is near. Turn away from your sin, right? So John the Baptist, this prophetic forerunner of the Messiah, sent by God to prepare God's people for the the coming promised one, the Christ, the Messiah. 
Now, in John chapter one, another gospel account of an eyewitness of the, the life, the death, the resurrection, the ministry of Jesus, John chapter one tells us something about Andrew and it tells us something about Peter that Matthew's gospel here doesn't. This is the first time that, that Andrew and Peter show up in Matthew's gospel. But if you were to like chronologically look at a timeline, John in his first chapter shares something else that's important for us to note here. John tells us that Andrew bought, brought his brother Peter to Jesus before this. So in other words, this is not the first time that Peter and Andrew encounter Jesus, all right? What happens is, is that Andrew, remember, he's following John the Baptist. He's a disciple of John the Baptist. And John the Baptist is like, that guy, Jesus, that's the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And these are people who are awaiting a promised Messiah, a Savior, a Deliverer. And so Andrew is like, he goes to his brother. He goes to Peter and he's like, dude, I think we found the Messiah. Come check it out. He brings Peter to Jesus and it's that famous moment when Jesus says, hey, Simon, you're going to be called Peter. And there's that beautiful name change. That happens before this encounter at the Sea of Galilee with Jesus, okay? So, Andrew, Simon, Peter, they were acquainted with Jesus before this. They knew each other, okay? That's the first set of brothers. The second set of brothers, James and John, all right? Uh, really quick background on these two guys. I love the smiles. Thanks, buddy. Uh, <clears throat> They, James and John, John is all over the New Testament, okay? In fact, John goes on to write several New Testament books. The Gospel of John, we spent like two years in that. Wonderful, incredible, probably my favorite book of the Bible. He wrote 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. He also wrote the last book in the scriptures, Revelation. Okay, so a fairly big deal, right? Now, James, his older brother, there's also a book of James in the New Testament, different guy. Okay, the, the author of the book of James is Jesus' half-brother. This James is different, all right? In fact, this James, he goes on to be the very first of the original 12 disciples to be martyred, to give his life for the faith. So really quickly, what I want you to see is these are fairly normal guys, they're laborers, they're professional fishermen, they're normal guys who, hear me, would go on to do spectacularly great things, world-changing things. And I think it's helpful to note too, Peter, James, and John, that was Jesus' like closest crew. He had his 12, absolutely, but he also had his three. He had his three, Peter, James, and John. And like I said, it's clear in the passage, all four of these dudes, they're, they're professional fishermen. Now, something really strange happens in this passage. And you probably didn't pick up on it because it's not so obvious to modern readers, but it's this. Jesus is a rabbi, right? A rabbi is a Jewish teacher, okay? Here's the thing. Disciples typically would select their rabbi. So Andrew, he was, John the Baptist is this prophetic preacher and this prophetic rabbi. Andrew goes, I want to follow John the Baptist. So he selects his rabbi and follows him around and learns from him. That was typical. That was the cultural norm at the time. Disciples typically select their rabbi. Did you catch what Jesus does here? Jesus reverses that. Jesus selected his disciples instead of those disciples selecting him. That's the first thing that we pick up here, the first thing that we learn about God's kingdom. It's that God's kingdom is a reversal. 
God's kingdom is. It's counter to the culture. It's, it's utterly different. Okay? Now, I don't want to spend a ton of time on this first point because where we're going. In two weeks, we're going to jump into the Sermon on the Mountain in Matthew's gospel. Like this idea that the kingdom, that God's kingdom is a reversal, that it's utterly different. This is like a whole message and series in and of itself. Okay. And we're going to flesh this out way more in a couple weeks when we jump into the Sermon on the Mount. Okay. Sermon on the Mount is the greatest sermon ever preached by far. Okay. And guess what the Sermon on the Mount is about? It's about the kingdom of God. It's all about how different the kingdom of God is, how utterly different and countercultural it is to the cultures that we find ourselves in back in ancient days and even today. Jesus, he teaches in detail about how the kingdom of God is a reversal. It's like an upside down kingdom. He says things like, you've heard it said this, but I tell you this. And he's comparing and he's contrasting. He shows how the kingdom of God is different. Here's what I want to kind of point out to us for what this, this means for us, because I don't want to dive too much into it because we're going there in a couple weeks. What this means for us is that the kingdom of God is foreign to us. Like, it doesn't come naturally. What does come naturally is the cultural norms that we're surrounded by. Uh, think about this one. Think about fashion. Fashion seems to change every, I don't know, five to ten years-ish. Uh, if there's one thing that's obvious, it's that what's cool right now is 1993. <laughs> like, I, I look at you guys all the time, and I chuckle because I'm like, oh, man, like, I would have worn that in school. That's really funny. There's this, like, cyclical pattern of, of, of how fashion influences culture. And what happens? People that are influential, people that we think look good or look cool, wear something, and then it catches on, and then the culture does it, and then it moves on. And I'm, I'm just waiting for, like, slim black jeans to go out of style. And I'm like, crap, what am I going to do? That's like my wardrobe. <clears throat> I'm not going to stop. I'm, I'm going to be, like, one of those men that's, like, stuck in the, the decade that they have clothes from. You know what I mean? I have so much like so much respect for those of you guys that are like, no, I'm just going to, I'm stuck. It's, it's, it's 1985 forever. I'm like, yes, dude, just go with it. It was cool. Keep it going. It's cyclical. It'll come back. But like fashion, it's one of those examples of how like, of, of culture and what happens. And we assimilate to the culture around us. We're products of our environment. Now, one of the things that grieves me, one of the things that's hard for me to swallow as a pastor, for, dude, forget being a pastor, one of the things that's hard for me to swallow as a Christian is actually a dangerous thing. And it's this, it's this idea that the truth is there's more culture influencing the church instead of the church influencing culture. Think about it political ideologies infiltrating the church as though we're, we don't live in a divine monarchy with one king, his ways, his rule, his reign. And people will fight and argue. And what they'll do is they'll start to prioritize things that ab above God's kingdom. Not just politics, think about like materialism. It's easy for us in the West. We can see it. it's obvious. Christians in other parts of the world are like, whoa, guys. <laughs> materialism, selfishness, 
I choose me over you, permeating the culture, and the culture then permeates the church instead of the church influencing the culture. And it doesn't stop there. We see it. Greed, sexuality, all these different things. Worldly cultural norms. But hear me. The kingdom of God is is a counterculture. It's it's a reversal of worldly cultural norms. Okay, we're going to talk way more about this in the weeks to come. Okay, that's the first thing that we see in this passage, though. God's kingdom is a reversal. The second thing I want to point out to you, and I want to kind of spend the bulk of my time here, so listen up. The kingdom of God, secondly, in the kingdom of God, a person's talents are transferable. What do I mean by that? So when a person becomes a Christian, God doesn't like replace their skills. He renews them. Okay, look back at verse 18 with me. This is so cool. Verse 18. As he, Jesus, was walking along the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Follow me, he told them, and I will make you fish for people. Okay? So Jesus calls fishermen. Now, I want you to do something with me. I want you to participate with me. Consider for a moment what fishermen do. What do they do? Talk to me. Fish. Great answer. Wow, guys, you're on it. No, but for real, like participate with me. Listen, think about this critically for a second. What do fishermen actually do? They transfer fish from one domain to another. They work as a team. These aren't fishermen that are using poles by themselves. They're not going like, you know, individual, I'm out there fishing. No, they're using nets. They work as a team. They strategize. They they have to go where the fish are, right? Anybody who's ever gone fishing knows fishing for fish requires patience. So does fishing for people. Friends, in the kingdom of God, a person's talents are transferable. And hear me, it's not just these fishermen. This is like a pattern all over the scripture. God does this all throughout the Bible. Consider David for a second. Um, Let me read you Psalm 78. It's going to be verses 70 through 72. I'm I'm in the NIV here. Check this out. He, the he, there's God. You guys have that one? Thank you. Uh, Psalm 70, verse 70 through 72. He, God, chose David, his servant, and took him from the sheep pens. From tending the sheep, he brought him to be the shepherd of his people, Jacob, of Israel, his inheritance. He's talking about the, the nation of Israel, the people of God. And David shepherded them with, the, with integrity of heart. With skillful hands, he led them. What do we see here? We see David going from shepherding sheep to shepherding the nation of Israel. From shepherding sheep to literally shepherding God's flock. Friends, in the kingdom of God, a person's talents are transferable. What about you? I look around this room, and I see a room full of highly skilled individuals with like very real talent, with very real skills. What about your skills? What about your talents? No matter how young you are. 
Like, do you realize your life experience matters? I'm talking all of it, man. Hear me, nothing is wasted. The skills you've developed over the course of your life are not an accident. The invitation into God's kingdom is an invitation to apply your same skills in a new way. Same skill, new application. From fishing for fish to fishing for people. From shepherding sheep to shepherding God's flock. Are you with me? Tony didn't grow up as a Christian. Tony kind of had like a, a, a normal upbringing and um, good guy, loved to have fun. And when Tony graduated high school, he decided he wasn't going to go to college. He got offered this job, this sales job right out of high school, and he started making pretty good money. So he stuck with it. He kept doing it. Thought, maybe I'll go back to school. And he's like, dude, I'm just, I'm, I'm doing really well in sales. I, I'm going to keep doing this. So he did. <clears throat> he was a good salesman. And then he met Jesus. And it totally changed his life. Like it flipped his life upside down. He heard the glorious news of God becoming man and taking his place, his perfect life in his place, his death in his place, offering him forgiveness and mercy and grace. Changed his life. And so Tony starts pursuing God's will, God's desires for his life, God's kingdom. You know, Tony shares the gospel with pretty much everybody he meets. And he's not weird. He's not like pushy. You ever meet those people? It's like, dude, I love Jesus, but please get away from me. pretty much everybody he meets and not in a weird or a pushy way. You see, a skilled salesman doesn't focus on getting you to buy something. A skilled salesman, a good salesman, they're, they're skilled at making you aware of a need and then providing you with an opportunity to have that need met. Friends, can you see how that might translate into kingdom work? In the kingdom of God, a person's talents are transferable. It's, it's applying the same skills in a new way. Hear me, from the lower to the higher, from the temporary to the eternal. And when I say lower, please understand me. I'm not talking about unimportant. That's not what I'm saying. But kingdom work has a higher purpose, an eternal purpose. So my friends, what about you? What about you? What skills have you gained in your life this far? So many. I look around the room, and I know, I know most of you really well. So skilled. So talented. What about you? Because hear me, friends. Every disciple, every disciple, no matter age or stage of life, is called into kingdom work. And in the kingdom of God, a person's talents are transferable. My third piece here that we learn about the kingdom of God. In the kingdom of God, 
a person's highest allegiances to Jesus. Check out verse 21. Going on from there, he, Jesus, saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with Zebedee, their father, preparing their nets, and he called them. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Here's the thing. In ancient culture, there was no higher relational bond than biology. So like biological family trumped everything. Hear me, even marriage. Like marriage was kind of like, it was maybe you had romantic uh, feelings for your spouse, but it was much more for like growing of the family. It was much more for procreation. It was much more for having kids. It was much more for other things. Because biological family was the highest relational bond there was. The highest allegiance that you had as a human being was to biology. So we have James and John. They're working with their dad in the family business. And Jesus calls them to follow him and they leave. In the kingdom of God, a person's highest allegiance is to Jesus. Now hear me, this does not mean disobeying or abandoning biology. That's not what we're talking about here. Okay, remember, Jesus calls two sets of brothers here. Two sets of biological brothers. Okay? And we know from later, like you'll we'll read about it later, Zebedee, they're James and John's dad, he actually becomes a disciple of Jesus as well. So hear me. This doesn't mean disowning or abandoning biology. It just means there's a higher allegiance. You with me? Guys, I want this for my children so bad. I want them to understand this. It's massive. I want them to understand this. Why? Because dad's counsel isn't always perfect. Mom's wisdom isn't always flawless. A future spouse, as wonderful as that may be, a future spouse's companionship is limited. And even a sibling. A sibling's support can only go so far. You see, here's the thing. The truth is, the best parent... The, the, the best family will inevitably fall short. But you know who will never fall short? You know who will never let my girls down? King Jesus. Because his love is perfect. His wisdom is comprehensive. He is holy. That means he's in a league of his own. There's nobody like him. So listen to me. There is nothing and no one more worthy of our highest allegiance than Jesus. Like the God who not just created us, but when we resist and rebel against him and reject him in his ways, sinning against him and sinning against people that he loves, that when we're in that state, he decides to put on flesh in the person of Jesus to come on a rescue mission for me, to live perfectly in my place, the ways that I never could, and to offer himself willingly as my sacrifice, paying the debt of all the times that I've sinned against him and sinned against other people. 
Why? So that I could be brought back into his kingdom. It's undeserved. I don't deserve it. But he's kind and he's faithful and he's forgiving and he's loving. Some of you messed up this week, huh? I messed up yesterday. I was a jerk. I was impatient with my family. And I could feel it. You ever get in those spots where you're like, oh my God, I'm gonna be mean and I'm mean. And I'm like, no, uh, I still kind of want to be mean right now. But I, that tension, it's like the flesh overpowering God's spirit in me. I hate it. I'm over it. And I'm probably the only one in the room who acts that way. So pray for me, guys. <laughs> Some of you probably messed up this week. Don't you see Jesus continually offering himself? Some of you just need to be washed clean. Some of you just need to receive forgiveness, man. Let go of the shame. This is a really safe room. You want to know why? Because everybody in here is a, f- a mess. That's called filtering. It's true, though. We have something in common. Apart from Jesus and his forgiving grace and mercy on our lives, we got nothing. So it can totally get rid of pride. The, 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 <laughs> the ground is level at the foot of the cross. There's not a hierarchy. Those who sin a lot, those who sin a little, no. In the kingdom of God, a person's highest allegiance is to Jesus. And friends, there's nothing and no one more worthy of higher allegiance than Jesus. All right. I want to call the band up. I'm going to close with one more thing. We're doing great on time. This is wonderful. You guys still with me? Okay, great. So God's kingdom is a reversal, right? It's counter to the culture. It's utterly different than the culture. In the kingdom of God, a person's talents are transferable. In the kingdom of God, a person's highest allegiance is to Jesus. Listen, the reason the church of Jesus exists on the earth, the mission, the mandate that God has given us is to make disciples. And hear me, that's the call of a disciple. It's a call to a different kingdom. Right? God's kingdom is a reversal. It's utterly different than the culture of the world. It's a call to a higher allegiance to Jesus than anything else. It's a a call to leverage your talents that you already have in a new way. Now listen, some of you, this makes total sense to you. You're like, you got it. It all makes sense. You can see exactly how your talents transfer into the kingdom of God and you're like living it out. It's beautiful and it's awesome. Some of you don't. Some of you don't know how your talents transfer into the kingdom of God. So this begs the question, doesn't it? How does a person discover their ta- how their talents transfer over to the kingdom of God? Like, how do you become aware of that? There's, there's a 
really powerful, powerful word that shows up twice in this passage. It's the word immediately. Did you catch it? When Jesus calls Peter and Andrew in verse 20, it says, immediately they left their nets and followed him. James and John, when Jesus calls them in verse 22, immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Guys, what would cause these four men, these two sets of brothers, to immediately drop everything and follow Jesus? Look back at verse 19. Follow me, he told them, and I will make you fish for people. Do you see it? Do you see what's happening here? This isn't a proposal. Like it, it wasn't a request. There, there's no if. It's not like, hey, if you follow me, I'll make you fish for people. Like there's not a question mark. Hey, would you like to follow me if you, if you would? I... It says he told them. One theologian, R.T. France, says this, quote, what Jesus issues here is not even an invitation, but rather a demand. Jesus says, follow me and I'll make you fish for people. Hear me, friends. This isn't just simply the moment where these four men become disciples. It's the moment where Jesus became their Lord and King. Immediately they left their nets and follow him. In other words, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Jesus had a kingdom vision for their life. Hear me, he has a kingdom vision for your life too. Do you? Are you thinking too small? So hear me, if you want to discover how your talents transfer into the kingdom of God, it's really simple. Make Jesus your king. Practice a lifestyle of saying, yes, Lord, and he will show you exactly how your talents transfer. And it's way more glorious than you could ever imagine. We follow, he forms us. We make him king, he makes us new. Same skills, different application, right? The talents transfer over. Friends, hear me, please. If you don't hear anything else I say to you this morning, hear this. God has a kingdom vision for your entire life. The question is, do you? And they pray for us. Spirit of God, we wait on you now. 
every heart and mind open to receive from you. I invite you to speak to every person in this room who has ears to hear you now. you are kind I love your passion on display (laughs) you choose your disciples it's wild I I just hear you saying even now spirit I choose you each person in this room Father, I pray that the truth of you calling us to yourself, that you'd personalize it right now. Right now. It's not just for others. It's personal. He sees you. He calls out to you. He has a higher purpose for your life, a kingdom purpose for your life. Holy Spirit, teach us, show us, guide us, lead us. Give us the faith, the trust that we need to actually make you king, to actually practice a lifestyle of saying, yes, Lord, even when we don't understand, even when it doesn't make sense, even when it's painful, even when the stuff that's happening all around us is like jacked up, man, when it's disorienting, We want your kingdom. We want your rule, your reign, your ways. That's eternal life. Even here and now, partly in the present, fully in the future. An inheritance that cannot be taken away, that cannot perish. Thank you for creating us for so much more. And thank you for your grace and your mercy constantly with open arms. I love you, Jesus. Show us the way. You're beautiful. You're beautiful. Amen. Friends, will you stand if you're able? Now is a time for us to respond. The band's going to lead us. Um, Prayer ministers, if you guys would make yourselves available. Um, in the back of the room. What we're going to do for the next, I don't know, 20 minutes or so is we're going to respond. The band's going to lead us in an opportunity to praise God, again, in response to his goodness. There's trusted men and women in the back of the rooms with lanyards um, that will be happy to pray for you, that you can get up and move around as you see fit. Um, This is a time, again, for us to enjoy Jesus, to actually experience his love by the power of the spirit, that, that, that migration from like knowing things about him to experiencing who he is. Okay. Love you guys very much. Enjoy him. And then Herrick will be up a bit to close us. Love you guys very much.
Father, thank you. Thank you for this morning. Thank you for that amazing call. Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. There's so much dignity in that call uh, that, that people would be invited into such a thing, summoned into that kind of a life is really remarkable. Regular, ordinary people like us. And we're grateful. And we don't want to take that for granted. So we love you. We thank you. We pray that these things that we talked about today, things that were um, that, be, that have begun to stir up, I pray that they would lead us into action, into life change this week. God, we love you and we thank you. Soon as soon as we pray, amen. You guys can grab a seat. I'm going to close this out. So talents are transferable. I, I love that. Skills you've developed are not an accident. But that was profound and so incredibly helpful. The same skill, new application in the kingdom of God. I want you guys to, I want to encourage you to hold on to that this week. These talents are transferable. And I want to I put forth uh, an example for you. I didn't tell him I was going to do this, but I'm going to talk about Paul for a minute, who's up here. You may not like this. Don't care. <laughs> so, Paul, <laughs> uh, first time up here, as far as I know, on the team, which is pretty, pretty amazing. Give it up for Paul. <laughs> All right. So, if you don't know Paul, I think uh, a couple of things I just were just kind of, as I was thinking about him, um, there's a sense of like, he... What he gives himself to, he's excellent at, and he's a tone setter, and, he, and he's a leader. Uh, whether that was like distinguished military service, um, nearly taking power walking in America to a new level didn't quite work out, but I think it could have changed the entire game. His form, is, he's excellent. He's very graceful, very efficient. Um, but, but in all seriousness, like, he's a guy who... As, as the kingdom, as he's, as he's developed a kingdom vision for his life, there's a sense of like taking care of people and taking care of creation that comes with being a Christian, right? That's what it's all about. And so for Paul, someone who has these skills and these, and these talents that are transferable, he's like, how do I do that, Lord? Well, you raise chickens to the glory of God. Farmer Paul. And, and today, like we're seeing him up here, uh, he's a closet musician. I don't even know. He's and so it's like, what do I do with this? You, you slap the bass, slap at the bass for the for the kingdom of God, for the glory of God. You know, you make him king, and he'll show you. Do you have a kingdom vision for your life? This is the sort of thing that can happen. I'm just using Paul as an example. This could, this is the kind of life. By the way, if you want more on this, listen to his renewal message. Excellent, outstanding. He goes into it in a lot more detail. But this is for you too. This is for you and me. So I just want to, I want to encourage you to honor Jesus today as you walk out these doors. There's people who are still in the back who would love to pray for you. And uh, Lisa, who's, she's a member of our church, very gifted in hearing from God. She got a couple of things. I'm going to show them real quick, um, potentially for people who may need to respond to today's message. She got a sense that there might be someone who feels um, like disrespected. Kind of like, um, what was the, the phrase that you got? Kind of spit in the face. Um, and that might be something that might get in the way of you actually giving yourself over to 
uh, kingdom vision for your life. If that's you, I want to encourage you to go get prayer. She also got a sense that there might be people or might be someone or more people who feel displaced even within their gifts and their skills, potentially even in the area of, of praise, of music. I want to encourage you, if, that, if that's you, that might be a part of the kingdom vision for your life. I want to encourage you to go at prayer. Lisa's going to be here. And there's going to be prayer ministers in the back that you can go to. The last thing that she got really was this sense of God just lighting a fire in people. It could just be this reality of like a lukewarm. We've been through a lot over the last two years. And if you're anything like me, we're tired, kind of worn out, worn down. And there could be a sense of like lukewarmness about our faith. But I think God does want a lot of fire today. If that's you, I want to encourage you, go get prayer. So with that said, uh, quick housekeeping uh, note uh, before we go out today. So I want to encourage you, go get prayer if that's you. If that's not you, I want to encourage you to go grab your kids if you have kids. And um, out in the back, back here, there's actually uh, an amphitheater. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? The kids actually have they've started to do worship back here. They set the TV up, so it's through these doors and out. Um, we're going to have kind of a special moment. Uh, Christine, who's over here, uh, Marsha's daughter, she, they're part of our church community, and uh, Christine is a really gifted musician. And she is, uh, actually, she's been going through these competitions, and she's now going to be going on Thursday to Carnegie Hall in New York to perform. And so what, what uh, she's going to do is she's going she's gonna to do her performance out there in the amphitheater in a few minutes. So I want to encourage you, go grab your kids, go get prayer. If you need prayer, please don't miss the moment. Go get prayer. And then in a few minutes, hang out out there if you can and, uh, and enjoy skills being used uh, to the glory of God. So Father, thank you. We love you. We're grateful to you. Thank you for this morning. It's a pleasure to be with your people and in your presence. We love you. In your name, amen. Amen. Enjoy your Sunday, friends.